we're going to do a series on new endings because I literally believe that it is necessary for us to end some things in our lives, probably as important as beginning some things in our lives, to get some of the junk out of our lives. And so that's where we're going to go. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know if this ever happens to any of you. But um, every now and then, I get the, the, we used to call it, I don't know if this is an expression anymore. You guys can tell me, Jody, you can tell me. We used to have an expression called getting the blues. Anybody use that anymore? No. Okay. So people my age, yeah, they don't talk about it. Julie's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, white-haired people. <laughs> so getting the blues, you're not quite depressed, right? You're not quite, you wouldn't be full-on depression. Uh, the French have a name for it, a malaise. You just kind of feel a little bit off, a little disconnected, and you just feel like, uh, a little blah, right? I sometimes get spiritual blues, to be honest with you, and I know people lo sometimes look at me like, why are you preaching? Well, I do. Sometimes I get the blues. Somet it's not like I don't think God loves me. It's not like I don't think Jesus died for my sins. It's not like I don't think heaven exists. I just feel somehow a little bit uh, disconnected, I would call it, maybe. Just like, I know God's still there. I'm just not feeling him right now. And I don't know because of that if I'm doing the right thing. That's always the thing, you know, that you worry about when you raise Presbyterian because you're always worried about God's plan. Am I in God's plan or not? And since I was raised that way, I still think about that. Am I in God's perfect will? I don't know. I used to think I was, but now I'm not be sure because I just feel disconnected. Like it's been a while since I really felt God move, you know. And so sometimes I get in these things, and sometimes it lasts a day, and they come on fast. You know, just like I, everything will be great one day. I'll wake up the next morning feeling blue. And um, sometimes they last for a while. And I've had kind of this prolonged period of uh, kind of not sure. And it reminded me of a story of this, uh, this old couple. They were in a, these farmers in a rural town. They were in a pickup truck, right? And they pull up to a stoplight, and in front of them is another pickup truck. But in that pickup truck is a young couple in high school. <clears throat> and the girl is sitting right next to the guy, and he's got his arm around her. And the, hot, and the red light is an opportunity to kind of kiss and canoodle. Another word you guys probably don't use anymore, Julia. <laughs> kiss and canoodle a little bit. And, and so the, the couple in the back is kind of watching, and the old woman's watching this whole thing. And she looks at her husband. She goes, I remember when you used to put your arm around me and kiss me at red lights. And her husband looks down, looks over, and says, honey, I haven't moved. So, you know, this is the thing. Sometimes we kind of, when, when it used to be, when I, was, when I was younger, and like, I don't feel God anymore. I'm like, God, where are you? Where'd you go? You know, what, what has happened here that you're not talking to me anymore? I feel like God kind of looks down sometimes and says, I didn't move. You know, I'm still the same place I've always been. Guess where the problem lies, right? Now, in the Old Testament, we do see periods in the Bible where God stops speaking for a while. There's prolonged silence, right? And people crying out to the Lord, what's going on? There was always a reason, but sometimes God went silent. But here's what's cool. In the New Testament, it never happens. The only time the disciples are sitting around not knowing what to do and waiting is the very first part of Acts when they're waiting in the upper room. And they are waiting for a purpose because Jesus told them to wait there. They don't know what's happening next, but they're waiting, right? After the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, you will never see the disciples pausing and waiting anymore. They're always in motion. Now, sometimes they're in motion going the wrong place and the Holy Spirit has to check them, but that means the Spirit's still speaking to them. They're always in motion. Angels are speaking to them. They're having visions. They're having the Spirit of the Lord guide them, right? Throughout the entire book of Acts, you never see them going, well, I don't know where God is right now, so I'm going to just sit here and wait. That never happens once the Holy Spirit enters the world. 
and I don't think it's supposed to happen for us. Jesus says before he leaves, he tells his disciples this amazing thing. He says, look, it's for your benefit that I'm leaving because it's going to be better for you to have the Holy Spirit than me, which I don't know. I don't believe that. I've said before, I think if Jesus Christ were appearing at Spirit Chapel next week, this place would be SRO. I don't think we could possibly hold as enough people to come. Have people show up like Jesus is going to be there? If they believed us, you know, they didn't think it was a stunt. People would show up to talk to Jesus Christ and speak with them. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And, but, but if I said, well, next week in Spirit Chapel, the Holy Spirit's going to show up, I'd probably have about the same amount of people I have today. You know, I don't think it would change anybody. And yet Jesus says, it's better for you that you get the Holy Spirit. And the reason is because he's always with them. Jesus was physical. He could only be with them, you know, at a certain time. And he couldn't be with them all at once. But he's saying the Holy Spirit, that's a different story. It's going to be with you forever. It's your comforter and your helper. Wow, okay, that's weird for me. Because I don't know that I feel that way about the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I always have the Spirit with me 24-7, 365. And again, if somebody else wants to preach, I'll hand you the microphone. But I think that's pretty, pretty uh, uh, you know, kind of consistent with how a lot of us feel. And I've always kind of looked at this one verse and thought, well, uh, I should have him because of this thing in Romans. He writes this, Paul's writing. He says, I am convinced, this is a famous verse, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height or depth, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. So why do we feel sometimes like we're separated? Well, the answer is nothing can separate you from God except you. You can separate yourself from God. You get that choice. It's pretty clear that God doesn't want to drag unwilling people to heaven with him. The whole point is to let people be willing to come with him. And so it actually is something we need to look at. If in our lives we're feeling a little disconnected with God right now, don't know what's going on, God said, well, I do. And if you ever get back to me, I'll tell you about it. So what happens in our lives? Because a lot of times we're doing the same thing we always were doing, and suddenly we seem to be disconnected. So now I'm going to turn to a great theologian, or you would think he's a great theologian, because I quote this guy probably about as much as anybody else at Spirit Chapel, a guy named Inigo Montoya. You told me to go back to the beginning. Rahab, this is where I am, and this is where I'll stay. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Now, I'm not going to go back to Genesis. I'm going to go back to the beginning of Jesus' teaching, because I believe his very first parable teaches us what we're missing here. And in fact, I think his first parable is what I would call a foundation parable. And I got to be honest with you, I didn't come up with that on my own. Jesus kind of flat out says it. Now, you know this parable. It's the parable of the sower, because I know some of you were raised in CCD class, you know, good, good Catholics, you went there, or, or you went to vacation Bible school, some of you Presbyterians or Methodists or whatever, or maybe just Sunday school. So everybody knows the parable of the sower. But we're going to look at it a little bit differently today because I believe that Jesus said, this is it, guys. This is the most important thing I'm going to teach you. In fact, he tells his disciples this. If you remember the story, uh, by the way, this shows up in all the Gospels, or all the parallel Gospels, which is unusual. Not everything does. It also shows up the same timing, which is unusual because basically everybody remembers it the same way. When Jesus started teaching, this is how he started teaching. And when he did it, they had never heard this before. They never heard anybody preach in parables or in stories. And they're amazed by it, but they didn't understand it. And the people walked away going, well, that was interesting. I don't really know what he was saying, but wow, that was cool. And the disciples come up to him later and say, 
uh, Jesus, that was really cool, that story you told. What does it mean? And Jesus turns to him. This is coming from the Gospel of Mark. And he says this. Jesus said to his disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? Now, when I was younger, I thought he was kind of calling them out for being a little bit dense. You know, like, hey, guys, it gets harder from here. You got to get this one. This one's simple. It's going to get harder. But that's really not, I don't think, what Jesus is saying. I think he's literally saying this is a foundation of everything. I'm going to take the time now to explain it to you because, frankly, if you don't get this, you're not going to get any of them. You've got to understand this one first. So let's take some time on it and let me explain it to you. So here's the whole thing from start to stop uh, as told in the Gospel of Mark. He began to teach again by the sea, and in such a very large crowd gathered him that he, could not go into, that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. A sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate him up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. But after the sun had risen, it got scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. It yielded no crop. Other seeds, though, fell on good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he says, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. Okay, so that's where it's set up. That's the parable. Very, very simple story he tells about the sower. And as he's there, uh, he, he, this is what he tells him when he says, I'm going to explain this to you. It's important. He says this. He said, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom, but to those who are outside, everything's going to be done. In parables, the sower sows the word. So he's starting to explain things. What were the seeds? Well, the seed was the word of God. And clearly in this parable, the sower would be Jesus Christ himself. He goes on. He said, the ones are beside the road. Yeah. Well, that's, they hear, but immediately Satan will come and take it away. In a similar way, they're the ones that's sown on the rocky places. They don't have, they receive it immediately, but they don't have any root. And there's a reason for that. I'm going to explain this in a minute. But they don't have any root. And so it's only temporary for them. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they will fall away. And then the ones that were sown among the weeds, these are the ones who heard the word, but the worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And then there's the ones on whom the seed was sown on good soil. They hear the word, accept it, bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. All right, so I want to kind of like a look at the broad strokes of this parable because what he's saying is this is foundational. You don't understand this, you won't understand anything else Jesus teaches. And so I start looking at that. Okay, I've really kind of overlooked something here because when God took me back here when I was in my blue period, he says, come back here. And I've been here before. I've preached on this before. But every, this is the way scripture is. Every time you go back, you learn something new. Here's the thing that jumped out at me this time. The parable is about the sower. It is not about a farmer. I don't even know what a sower is. I grew up on a farm. Uh, when I was younger, my parents both worked. And in those days, we didn't have preschool. Uh, we had friends and we had family. And our friend was, a, was the organist at Mount Vernon Church where my dad was preaching at the time. And her name was Dorothy Rankin. And she and her husband, John Rankin, ran a farm right over there on Broadlawn. And that's where I grew up. Every day, my parents dropped me off and they picked me up in the evening. It was great. One of the happiest moments of my life was running around. But I didn't see John very much because he was a man all on his own. He was like, you know, this is a family farm, the old family farm. 
He did everything himself, though. You know, as soon as the weather broke, he was out there plowing, and uh, he would go through, and he would, he would spray stuff to kill off all the weeds that were going to be there. And he'd actually go through after done plowing sometimes, and they'd kick out rocks and stuff and make a pile of them. And then they'd plant, you know, and then after they planted, they'd come up, he'd come back and spray again, make sure nothing's killing them, no kind of insects or anything. And when it finally got all finished, he'd go back out and harvest the crop. That's how farmers work. But Jesus is talking about a specialist here. I don't know, maybe that's what they did in Jerusalem. I've never heard of a sower, actually. This guy's only job is to sow. You know, it's like if, if uh, American healthcare took over the farming system. You know, a specialist for everything. This guy's a specialist. He only sows. And I find that interesting because what Jesus is describing is somebody who does not own the land. It's not his land. He's going to go and he's going to sow on somebody else's land. He's, he's brought in to do that purpose. Now, obviously, he's talking about himself spiritually. But I want you to look at how he describes a sower. Because this guy's a professional sower. You'd think he'd be really good at his job, right? That's all he does. But he seems like a pretty lousy sower. He throws that seed everywhere. He doesn't care. He knows as he throws it up by the road, it's not going to grow there. But he still throws it there. He knows when he throws it amongst the weeds, it's not going to grow there. But he still throws it there. Why? Well, here's where the spiritual application is. Jesus gives it to everybody. Even the people he know will not listen. Every soil has the same opportunity for growth. Now, they won't all grow, and Jesus knows that going in. But he doesn't hold it back. He gives his word free to everyone. His father put it this way, I will make it rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus says, I'll put it everywhere. My word falls to everybody. He didn't kick people out of his meetings. He said, I am going to give it to absolutely everything. Now, here's the other thing that's amazing, that something kind of has, I don't know whether it should depress me as a preacher or encourage me as a preacher. The other thing Jesus teaches here, though, and let me do that little exercise. Um, so, Carrie, you, know, you, you, you and Jim can't do this because you're sitting in the front. Victoria can't either. But those of you who are sitting on, not on the front, take a look at the person in front of you. Take a look at the person to the left. Take a look to a person on the right. All right? Just take a look at them. Now, let me tell you something. Only one of you is going to get anything out of the sermon today. Only one. Not good odds. Who's it going to be? Jesus says 25% of the people I preach to get something out of it. 75% bear no fruit. I don't know. Does that depress you? Is your competitive spirit flaring now? Well, it's going to be me. I'll take down these other three. I don't know, but this is what Jesus said. And, and at times, I look at that and say, why? And by the way, he's talking about his percentages. I think mine are lower. Right? Jesus would get in 25%. I do have the Holy Spirit helping me, so maybe he gets me back up to the 25%. But I really wouldn't want to check my odds. We get, this week, you know, we'll probably have a little bit over, but we get about 40 people out on a weekend to Spirit Chapel. That means 10 of you, and I'm included in that 40, 10 of us are going to get something out of this sermon. And it's not just the sermon, of course. We're talking about the Word of the Lord. That also includes Bible studies. That includes the stuff you read, all that. Worship, you know, if there's a Word of the Lord, some, a lot of times we have Scripture in our worship. 25%. That's not really good. And yet, he's out there throwing it to everybody because God's Word's infinite. Everybody has the same chance. Here's the one thing that I kind of lean on a little bit. And again, some of it's a little bit depressing, but some of it's actually kind of invigorating because the benefit you derive from God's word 
has nothing to do with my delivery. It's not on me. It has everything to do with your preparation. You own the land. Because he's clear that when he's talking about the seed falling, he's talking about it falling on hearts. The heart's yours. Jesus doesn't own it. He said, well, I gave it to him. Well, did you? The land's yours. You need to prepare it to receive the word of the Lord, or you will not derive any benefit from the word of the Lord. What'd you guys do today before you got here? Hey, I'm bad at this too. I'm a, you know, don't even talk to my wife about how I spend some Sunday mornings. You know, but did you anybody? Well, I should really prepare myself to receive a word from the Lord today. I have people sometimes coming to me and say, "I came here. I really need a message from the Lord. I hope you bring you one." <laughs> so, well, I hope so too. No pressure or anything, right? But did we prepare ourselves to receive it? Because the 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 land has to be prepared before the seed gets there. It's too late after it gets there. That's how he describes it. Uh, you need to understand, weeds can grow anywhere. Ask any gardener. It is so easy to grow weeds. It takes no effort at all. And a lot of Christians show up with no effort at all. They put no effort in their Christianity at all. I'm not going to do any work. Reading the Bible makes me sleepy. I'm not going to pray. Oh, I ain't praying. Oh, I hope that preacher is entertaining today. Oh, I hope we have good music. I don't want to do any work at all. Well, that's how you grow weeds. They grow everywhere. If you want to grow fruit, it's going to require work. That's the way it goes. So he talks about three grounds that don't work. Let me talk about them real quickly. Then I want to get to the fruit because the fruit's not what I ever thought it was when I went through this. The first one's the hard ground. Now, what he actually describes is the ground next to a road. I don't know if you've ever seen that, like a trail or something. When I was a kid and I went to... uh, elementary school up here at Central, for those of you in the area. Uh, We had this sidewalk that went way up uh, to the school, and it cut across at a right angle, right? And we would have a play period out on on the ground in front of it, right? They'd line us up, and they'd send us back to our room. Well, it didn't take very long for the inventive, you know, seven-year-old minds to realize it's a long way to there just to go to there. So we just started cutting off the corner, you know, and the teachers would yell, stay off the grass, stay off the grass, you know, but we wouldn't. And pretty soon, you know, a thousand little footprints would beat a path, cutting the corner of that, of that 90 degree angle of the sidewalk, and pretty soon there's no grass that could grow there. And the poor maintenance people, they come out, they throw grass seed there, but it didn't matter because we kept trampling on it. And eventually the ground gets so hard, I don't know if you've ever seen impacted earth before or had to dig it, it gets so hard, nothing sticks it. You know, you throw the seed, it just lays on top. And now you're just feeding the birds. Oh, good. Look, lunch. They come down. It doesn't go in the ground at all. They don't even have to work for it. And that's what Jesus says. A lot of people have such hard hearts that my word cannot penetrate. I've seen that. I've seen that here. I've seen people on their phones. And I know that some of you actually do check out scriptures on your phones. Most of you don't. And I have a phone. I use a phone. I'm a geek, too. I can tell the difference between you checking scriptures and playing Candy Crush. You don't think I can? You know? I'll never call you out, though, because Jesus says it's not your job. It's the job of the person in there. And usually, here's what causes a hard heart, bitterness. Usually, someone's heart is hard because of bitterness. Usually, they're angry at God, oftentimes somebody else, and sometimes both. Bitterness stuck inside of you will develop a very, very hard ground, and God's word just won't penetrate it. 
We see that when Simon the sorcerer meets with Peter. Peter says, I perceive that you have a root of bitterness in your life. And because of that, you have no part of God's word, and God's word has no part of you. Bitterness will do a number on your ground. The next one he talks about is rocky ground. And this is interesting. I don't know if you've ever been out like in, in, in like a farmland that's in valleys like around here. And this is perfect for it. So what happens sometimes is they're like, especially like if they've taken the rocks out, like thrown them down like in the valley, and they're, and they're planting kind of on a hillside. When the water runs off the hill, it takes some of the best topsoil down over top of those rocks. And if you don't know they're there, it looks like fertile ground. It's really good ground because it's taking the best of the best off the top and it's sitting over top of the rocks. When the seeds hit that, it grows fast. Boom. They pop up. But it doesn't last. Why? Because it can't get any roots. See, there's things hidden in that soil. And it will not let growth happen. This is the hidden sin in people's lives. And we all have them. We don't think anybody sees it. We have buried it deep. It looks like we're receiving the Lord. It looks like we're listening to his word. It even seems like we're responding to it. But eventually that rock hits the, hits the fruit. And the rock wins. Fruit dies. A lot of times it's the buried sin. And, and this, this is the person that fooled me when we opened Spirit Chapel. Because I met so many of them. And it was so wonderful because they'd come, oh, I love it here. This is such a great church, and it's so different. I like that so much, and oh, the good, because that's why we're here. We work so hard to, to, to have a service for people like you. And they would just do great, you know. They'd be here. They'd buy a Bible. They'd friend me on Facebook, you know. I'd see all these posts on Facebook about how everything's changing. And then all of a sudden, one day, they were gone. Like, man, what happened? Did I say something wrong? Did my Ukrainian wife insult somebody? She can have a brusque manner. You guys know that, right? I mean, my wife's a lovely, lovely person. But where she spits, no grass will grow for three weeks. I mean, I'm telling you what, she can be tough. I don't know. People just disappeared, you know? I know, like, what's going on? I wanted to chase them down and ask them, but we promised we won't do that, right? And so I was like, I don't know what's going on. Well, what's happening in a lot of cases is that fruit hit a rock, and it died. And I'll watch that on Facebook, too, because they don't unfriend me when it happens. And they'll keep telling me I'm planning on coming back, and I'll watch their Facebook feed, and I said, no, you don't. <laughs> you like your sin too much. He went right back to it. There's no magic formula for beating this stuff, by the way. It's up to you to get it out of your life. Jesus says, I'm the sower. I don't do it. And then, by far and away, most Christians I see are this. They want to do the right thing. They hear God's word. They know what they want to do. And then the cares of this world take it away. It's easy to get caught up in the cares of this world. It's easy to get caught up in the good things in this world. I can't tell you, and this is a joke that Victoria, this is the dark humor of pastor and his wife. Uh, we had this joke for the longest time. We don't ever, ever, ever want somebody to come up to us and start a sentence. Oh, the greatest thing happened to me, pastor. Because I know they're gone. Like in a week or two, it's just a matter of time. Now we can start a countdown. I have had seen more people taken out of this church because of quote-unquote good things in their lives than any tragedy they've ever experienced. Because all of a sudden, that becomes the most important thing in your life. New house, new kids, new fiance, new marriage, grandkids. doesn't matter. Whatever it is will fight for the attention of God, and it wins. And it chokes the fruit out, and you won't see any fruit. Now, here's the last thing that I want to say about this. I used to think we we're talking about salvation here, but clearly Jesus isn't talking about salvation. 
I mean, I never understood that before. I always thought this was all talking about the kind of people who would get saved and not. But I'm going to pull this scripture back. I want to show you something. Here's how it cannot possibly be for salvation because he says it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. How do you bear 100% fold or 60% more from salvation? That's a one-to-one relationship. If, if Jesus wanted to teach this thing about, about salvation, he'd be talking about planting a petunia or something. You plant it, you get one thing back. That'd be salvation. He would talk about how, how you would give your heart to him, and that's a one for one. But he's saying it's going to multiply. How do you multiply you? He's saying fruit is going to show up in your life, and it's going to be multiplied, sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100% more than what you thought. He's talking about everything he tells you. He's talking about everything he teaches you. He's talking about life and life abundantly here. That's what he said he's coming to give us, life and life abundantly. This is the life abundantly part he's talking about. Here's why I'm telling you that. Because as a Christian, I thought as long as I was the good soil once, I never have to be the good soil again. I heard God. I accepted him. He's my savior. I'm done. He's saying, no, I keep throwing seed your way. Do you want to see it bear fruit in your life or not? This is everything right? And if you think about it, some of you plant these things. My, my wife plants crop every year. Uh, she plants tomatoes, which is my favorite crop, because tomatoes are not the same out of stores anymore. They got all those hybrids that taste horrible. And so we always, we always plant the heirloom stuff, and it tastes like a real tomato. It takes me back to my childhood. I can't wait for the tomatoes. They take so long, though. They're like the last crop that comes in. We have cucumbers and peppers right away. Those, those tomatoes, man. And I'll be watching those plants, and one will form. There's always one. There's always one overachieving plant. Gets that one beautiful thing. It's round. It's green. And you're just waiting and watching. And it turns orange. You know, oh, here it comes. And then it turns red. And it's perfect. Suppose that was the only fruit we ever grew off that tomato plant. Wouldn't it be worth the trouble, right? One fruit. That's it. That's it. Well, you got one. That's it. No. We want that thing a bumper crop. We want to be pulling those things off all summer long. We want to have so much that we give them away. That's how Jesus wants the crop to show up in your life. Now, let's talk then about the crop. What are we talking about when we say that we're going to see fruit in our lives? Well, Paul picks up on this in the book of Galatians, and he says this. The fruit of the Spirit, here we go, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're supposed to have that in abundance in your life. Now, some of that I don't think we want so much, you know. I don't know necessarily that I need patience. Lord, let everybody else have patience. But, you know, we're supposed to have it in abundance. And, in fact, we're supposed to have peace in abundance. That's something I don't mind. Because sometimes I don't have any peace. But he's saying, no, you should have abundance of that. And love and joy, joy's good. Give me an abundance of joy. He's saying, you should have it. The Holy Spirit is in your life, the word is falling upon you, and you're receiving it, and you're growing fruit, you should have unending amount of joy and peace. I like that. That sounds good. Why don't I have unending joy? Or the question my wife wants to ask is, why don't I have unending patience? Why don't we have that? Well, we don't have it because we haven't done the job that is required of the owner of the land to prepare the soil to receive the seed of the Lord. And again, that's not just my preaching here. It's every time you open a Bible. The word of the Lord reaches us many, many different ways. If we don't do the job, 
there is a default crop that grows in your life. These are the weeds, and they look like this in, in Galatians 5.17. He said, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities. That means uh, grudges, basically, where you're holding with people. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and in case your favorite sin isn't up there, and things like these. So what Paul is saying is, this is the default crop, and the Holy Spirit brings the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in case you're wondering <clears throat> which you're growing, let me suggest that you ask somebody who knows you well. Those of you who are married, you're in luck, because your spouse will tell you. They already have a list, probably. If, if uh, your wife's anything like mine, she has a list of things I'm growing in my life, and she's very happy to tell me. Sometimes you don't have a spouse. If you have kids, they'll do. They're pretty good at telling you, especially as they get older, or just a good friend. And if you don't have any of that, ask the Holy Spirit. But my guess is you have somebody who could say, no, I'm seeing a lot of this. You're not seeing a lot of that patience, joy, and peace thing. Which crop are you growing? It's not Jesus' fault. It's not the fall of the seed. The seed is the same in all cases. It's not Jesus' fault if you're not growing his fruit. It's because we have let other things come in. Maybe we have a buried sin that we don't want to get rid of. Maybe we have too many concerns of this world. Maybe we're chasing the deceitfulness of riches. All these things ruin our, our crop, and we will not bear the fruit that we want in our life. Here's the thing. We all want fruit, but we want our fruit. And I'm always praying for stuff, you know. And this whole thing came up because I was angry with God, because this happens after I get blue for a while. And I keep asking him to show me things. God, why can't we see signs and wonders today? How come we don't hear the prophetic word being spoken in our churches? How come we don't see healings? Why can't we lay hands on the sick and see them healed? Why do I have to see people come with injuries and sicknesses to the church? Why can't we just pray? Because in the Bible, you know, it seems like that. What's going on? I need to study this. I need to study how to get the spiritual gifts back in the church. I need to study about the prophetic word. I need to study about miracles. I need to study about all these things, right? And I felt overwhelmed because nobody seems to know anything about this stuff. Everybody has theories, and but there's not anything really good on it. I kept saying, you know, I really, really want to know. Uh, how am I going to do this? And I just felt that God took me to a scripture that seems odd. But I'm going to read it to you because I, I actually got this out of context, and I'll put it in context for you. But I'm sitting there complaining to God about all these things that I want to see in, spiritual in Spirit Chapel, and this is what he said to me. And Jesus answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and indeed, there is only one. See, I keep talking to God about all these things that I want to see, but if we can't receive his word, asking for it is being, it's just asking it in vain. If my heart isn't prepared to receive the word he wants to send me, it doesn't matter what he sends me. I won't get any of it. And I sit around complaining to God about why I don't see all this stuff. He says, here's what I want to see. I want to see soil that can receive what I want to give you. I have fruit to grow in your life, and it's not making it very far because you haven't done the work to prepare the soil. The thing is, if we don't prepare our hearts to receive his word, you're wasting your time here. We pray for things in vain because we're not willing to do the work to receive his word. Would you all please pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give us a new appreciation.